that the, the senior leader, the senior pastor would go back into his office and then come back out on Sunday, say some words, and then go back and just, I, I don't know where he went. But he would just kind of hide out and not do anything and then come back out. So I used to think that. Uh, which this, the, the opportunity to see the background of church and to see all the things that go into everything that makes this was amazing. And it was through various internships, through various jobs, through various volunteer stuff that, uh, that I did. And it led to a lot of amazing opportunities. One of those amazing opportunities came uh, while I was in college. I went to Knoxville, Tennessee and did an internship there um, in Market Square, which is like Fountain Square for Cincinnati. I don't know what that is here. I've only been here a couple days. Does anybody, do we have like a center square? No? I don't know what that is or where that's at. So sure. <laughs> Anyways. Um, so <laughs> but so in Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, that church was located in the center of town, but there's also all of this impoverished area. There's all this impoverished area all over town. It's, it's basically on the outskirts. They've just kind of pushed it out there. But one of the streets that we really found ourselves being drawn towards had multiple different pawn shops, multiple different liquor stores, multiple different like cash for loans, all those places where they feed on poor people who need help. And they come to them saying, I need cash now. That's what you advertise, cash now. But then you charge me a 500% interest that I'm never going to be able to pay back. So then I go to this place, get the cash to pay off this loan, and then it just cycles. And it's hard. And this was an area that was seemingly focused on getting people more and more in debt. And that didn't jive well with me. The staff of our church, well, actually, let me, no, I'm going in the right direction. Sorry, I told you, I get off sometimes. Um, you know, the preacher thing and all. But uh, the staff of our church went to go and listen to one of our ministers. Her name was Molly. She was very heavily involved in politics in the, in the city. She, she tried to make her voice one for those who couldn't have a voice. Those who were a victim of this impoverishing cycle. And so she would come up and she would speak her piece on all sorts of different topics. I mean, I think that she had been there about 20 times before I even showed up. And so this time she goes up and she's speaking about this street is getting another cash for loan place put in. And she's avidly against it. She says, you need to use that for something different, something that can help these people get out of this area, something that can help these people get out of the circumstance that they're in, something for social justice. Well, so we went and the whole community showed up. Everybody somehow found a way to get there. And of course, we're the last ones on the list. We're just waiting for Molly's turn. We're just waiting for her to stand up and speak on behalf of this entire group who has been completely and utterly just stolen from. And they have absolutely no way of getting out of 
that vicious cycle. And she was the voice for them. And like I said, we were the last ones on the list. So we sat there for about three hours. The whole community sat there for about three hours. It was amazing to watch. All rallying behind Molly. But things didn't turn out the way that we had planned. Property got approved. Cash for loan places going in. It wasn't necessarily what we had in mind. It wasn't what we were hoping would happen. And so we start walking back to the church because it's right down the street. We start walking back, and almost just like a movie, it starts to rain really hard on top of us. It's almost like setting the sad mood for the movie. So we're, walk, we're walking back to um, the church because we're all about to go to our homes. And so with the rain setting the mood and everything going on, um, it was actually a really vicious storm that ended up happening. So as we were driving, well, as I was driving, um, we got, or I got back, I should stop saying we, I got back to my street where I lived on, where the apartment complex I lived at was on, and all of these trees are falling down. All these trees have fallen down, and they're completely covering the road. It looks most, basically like a war zone. That's the best way I can describe it. It looked as though everything from the ground had just blown up and gotten all over the streets. I mean, there was two trees through one person's house. There was all of this destruction. And it looked like just a, a massacre. But it's amazing how people come together during one of those times. It's amazing how people come together during those times where it seems like things could not get any better. It's amazing how people are brought together by that, isn't it? It's awesome. It's great to see. It's, it's terrible that that happened, but it's great to, to watch. It's also amazing how people can come together when they're fighting for the common good of something. When they're trying to make this world look as close to heaven as they possibly can. People will rally together for that cause 10 out of 10 times. A man in the church named Cliff wrote something in this blog that he shared with me while I was there. This was right after the, uh, like the Orlando shootings and the Paris shootings and um, the Dallas shootings a couple of years ago. Cliff says this, Several times a week I pass by an enormous American flag on my way to work. Sadly, the past few weeks it feels as though it has been locked at half-staff. An author by the name of St. Augustine wrote this, Hope has two beautiful daughters, anger and courage. Anger at the way things are, and courage to see that they do not remain as they are. He says, I'm angry. In fact, I don't know if I've really ever been this mad. At violence against people of color, at violence against the LGBTQ community, at violence against law enforcement, but do I have the courage to do anything about it? To do something more than just walk past and step over the brokenness of this world on my own journey to find something. 
There is so much brokenness. So I'm struggling this week. I'm struggling with my own lack of courage. How do I look forward in hopes of restoration? How do I channel my anger to something that will bring wholeness, reconciliation, and shalom into this community that I live in? I wish I had a quick answer, but I don't. So I'm going to continue to wrestle with this for a while. But wrestling is good, though. Jacob wrestled and came away with a new name, a new relationship, and a limp. But limping's okay, too. So that's what Cliff wrote. Every year in that church, they discover, or they go through a way or ways of what it looks like to be a part of something called the Missio Dei, that's the mission of God. What it looks like to be a part of that within their own community. What does it look like to bring, I know it said shalom in there, that means wholeness, reconciliation, and all those things. What does it look like to bring that to this community that we live in? Putting back together the brokenness of this world. And in the time of those massacres, in the time of the massacres then, and even the massacres that continue to happen now, right? Because we see that all the time. You don't have to go too far or look too hard to find something. People are looking for hope. And hope has two beautiful daughters, anger and courage. I think the anger one is easier, though. The anger one is a lot easier for us to have. It's reactionary. It, it, it is within ourselves. We don't have to express it. We don't have to give it out. We can keep it, or we can choose to share it. But anger is a lot easier than the courage part. Well, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. <laughs> but I've learned recently that a lot of this depends on something. It depends a lot on our threshold. And when I say threshold, I'm talking about like the magnitude that must be exceeded for some kind of certain reaction from someone. A, thr a high threshold would be something or someone that it would take a lot for them to react. It takes a lot to push them towards change. Change is scary, I get that. But change is not always bad. But someone with a threshold of zero or a low threshold is somebody who is going to be the first ones to jump in. They're going to be the first ones to kind of come in and say, okay, look, I feel this, th this needs to change, so I need to get this changed. They're the ones who the high threshold people watch to see if it succeeds, and then they come in later. So that's the difference between the high versus the low. And for the longest time, the church has had a high threshold. For the longest time, churches have had high thresholds over the course of history. It's not just today, it's over the course of history. I mean, the racial divide in the 60s, the church, where was it? A lot of different times in history where there's persecution and, and social injustice, Where's the church? Where are they at? 
I get eventually somebody jumps in. But where's the church? Collectively. Where are they at? What are they doing? Are they hiding behind their closed doors until Sunday and then they come out and they give a message about something that they read on Facebook and then they go back? Everyone is waiting for the church to do something. Everyone is waiting for the church to say something. Anything. Anything. They're just waiting. It wasn't until a lot of change has been made that the church somehow seems to always come out and say, okay, yeah, we support that. It seems like that's the way that it, it works. In chapter 15 of Acts, it's considered the most crucial chapter of the book. Acts has 28 chapters. And it's, it's called the turning point of that book. So if you would, flip with me to Acts chapter 15. And we'll get started. If you have your Bible with you, that's great. If you don't, or you choose some other way, that's cool too. But we have it up on the screen. I love the sound of Bible pages turning. I love that sound. All right, I guess I'll do that. We're going to be going through verses 5 through 11. Verse 5 starts with this. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. He said, brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepts them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on, neck, on the necks of Gentiles a yoke neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Amen. So Acts is about 30 years that changed the world. Jews were excited about Jesus being their Messiah. And even some Gentiles were excited. But the officials of the Jewish faith were kind of unsure about this. They were kind of iffy on it. The Gentiles wanted to become Jews, but the question was, should Gentiles who have no rooting in the Jewish tradition, be allowed to enter into this community that is so deeply rooted in the Jewish faith? That's the question. And some thought that this Jesus thing was just for them, right? Jesus was a Jew, so he must have just came for the Jews. That's their logic. That's the way that they think. 
That makes sense. He was killed and he was raised three days later. And all the Jews thought that he had just come for them. They had the religion. They had their Messiah. And that's the way it's going to be. It's for them. But many Gentiles or non-Jewish people are coming to faith too. They're coming to believe in this Jesus guy that came and had this three-year ministry in the world. Like maybe he is that, the guy that he said he was. But this made the leaders of the community go and, and say, wait, um, so does this mean that they have to do all the stuff that we do? Does this mean that, like the Old Testament law, does that mean that they have to do all the stuff that's in that like, like we do? Or how does that work? So that's the debate that's going on. And the teachers would go around telling everybody in the community, unless you are circumcised, if you don't know what that means, please ask your neighbor, don't ask me. <laughs> if, if you're not circumcised, you're not saved. I'm serious about that. Please don't ask me. Because for Jewish people, being circumcised was a part of it. It was a part of their, their religion, their faith. It was following God. It's easy for us to come up here and say, okay, guys, come on, seriously, stop being so narrow-minded. What's the big deal? <coughs> I'm sorry. But we have to understand that this is a massive paradigm shift for these people. For so long, this has been deeply rooted into what they considered their, their religion, this Old Testament law. They had gone through and they had tried to do everything that was in that law. They were trying to be obedient. And so what, what they're being told is completely revolutionizing the way that they are supposed to view this and how they're supposed to approach this conversation. And they're saying, so you mean to tell me that we don't have to be, or they don't have to be circumcised? Are you, are you serious? Or are you joking? I really need you to tell me that you're joking. But Peter stands up in Acts 15. And he gives them a glimpse into the dream that he had in Acts 10. About how Jesus is for all people. It was for people in all cultures, all societies. But look, Peter isn't trashing the law. Don't hear what I'm not saying. He's just saying that the Jews and the Gentiles are on the same level. He's telling them it's the faith. <coughs> Sorry. He's saying to them, he's saying, look, you Jews, you can't follow the law either. You've messed up. So the Gentiles are on the same level of, of, as you without circumcision. That's what he's telling them. And in verse 11 of Acts chapter 15, Peter stands up and says, No, 
We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. You see, we all want this brokenness to be gone. Amen? We can all say that. We want this brokenness to be gone. We look around in our communities and there's so much brokenness. We look in our world and there's so much brokenness. But some of us have a lower threshold than others. And we're all for whatever can help make this world more like heaven. We're all for that. But the collective weight of, this, of all the brokenness in this world brings us all out of our houses like it's that massacre. It all brings us out of our houses. <coughs> and everybody's looking at us. Everybody's looking at what we're going to do. Everybody's looking at what we're going to say. Are we going to have a response for that? Because for so long, the church has not had that. For so long, the church has not had that. They're looking at us and they're saying, what are you going to do, church? We've seen all this before. But you guys just come out when everybody else does. You guys just come out whenever you have something that you can agree with somebody else on that's already come out. And we need to change that. I firmly believe we need to change that. If you follow Jesus, then following Jesus has got to make some kind of difference in the way that you deal with what I'm dealing with right now. Because what will we do? Everywhere you look, everywhere you turn, there's something going on. And people are coming out of their houses and they're looking at us. And for so long we sat on our hands. But people with hope in Jesus should have something to say about this conversation. Don't you guys think that? People who follow Jesus should have something to say about this conversation that we're having. But that only comes when we lower the threshold. It seems like every day we see or we hear about some kind of act of violence, some kind of injustice, whether that be some kind of physical injustice, social injustice, whatever it may be. There's something that we're always hearing about. The world shoves it in our face. And there's a lot of anger. I get really angry at some of the things that I see that are going on in the world. And I definitely don't think I'm the only one. But there are also a lot of disasters within our own personal lives that we go through every day. And anger is really easy to have about that too. The persona of anger would say, look at these people that are picking on this, on this man who's on the sidewalk. That's really bad. That's terrible. We should do something about it. That's anger. 
Or they would say about some kind of violence topic, probably on Facebook, how could these people do this to this other group of people that's really monstrous? We should stop doing that or we should go and confront them. That's great. It's great that you have that recognition. But where's the courage? Where is the courage at? Because for so long the anger is there. Great. Courage is not. That's the issue. <coughs> A lot of us don't know where the courage is at. Will we do anything to help that man that's on the sidewalk? Will we do anything to help that group that's facing injustice? Will we stand up against the next cash for loan store? Because everybody's coming out of their houses and they're looking at us. Will we stand up and push all of that anger into something? that gives us the courage to say, this is wrong and I'm going to stand up for these people who sometimes can't stand up for themselves. That's what we're supposed to do. That's part of being a Christian. Standing up for those who don't have voices when we have one. Are we... Are we going to do that or are we just going to wait around like we have in the past? Because the persona of courage does not say anything. The persona of courage does something. The persona of courage comes out and does something for their community. They come out and they do something to speak up for those people. They improve their life. They speak into their life. They show love to these people. The persona of courage does something. And this is the second side of hope. Because hope has two beautiful daughters. Anger and courage. Anger at the way that things are. That's easy. But courage to see that they do not remain as they are. That's the important part. All right, y'all, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we get to come together and worship you. Father, thank you so much for the word that you've given us. And thank you so much for the things that you bless us with every day. Father, I pray that we would have courage. Anger is easy. But Father, I pray that we would push that courage into something, or push that anger into something that makes us courageous. Father, help us all to realize injustice, realize the brokenness. Father, I pray that you would use us to fix that. Father, I pray that we would have the courage to be used to fix that. Father, I pray that we grow closer to you every day and that we make our community look more like heaven every day. But Father, we're thankful most of all for your son who gave his life for us that we could have the hope of life with you. And Father, it's in his beautiful name that I pray. Amen.